Hello and welcome to another edition of the Standard Room Only Podcast. Yes, I'm your host, Ben Standig, and I cover the Washington Commanders for The Athletic, which of course means I was out at the park on Wednesday for OTAs, and uh, also means I was there Wednesday. I'm a little late getting this out to you guys on a Friday, so apologies for the delay on that front. Just some uh, combination of factors on this end. Uh, Day job, the main part of the day job, I should say, writing. Uh, On Thursday, we had a a big storm come through the area, knocked out my power for a while. Other things got in the way. Uh, So apologies for that, but I do want to make it up to you. So in addition to sharing some thoughts on OTA, in addition to a lengthy conversation with my guy Steve Wino from the Associated Press on Chase Young, when we think he'll be back, what he had to tell us um, when he spoke this week in his return to uh, Ashburn, and just what we thought of his general vibe uh, coming into this season. We also talked about the latest with Congress. What do we expect to happen there? Uh, now that Congress is, is asking to see Dan Snyder and Roger Goodell for a hearing on Capitol Hill. And we also talked about the stadium, specifically D.C. Uh, where's the What's the status going on there? In addition to that, that would be enough. I'm going to play for you guys a little bit of an interview I did with none other than Super Bowl champion quarterback Kurt Warner. Uh, Kurt and I spoke on the phone more for our regular sort of an interview, but I wanted to share some of it. We talked, he and I spoke a little bit about Carson Wentz and Sam Howell. So this isn't going to sound exactly like my usual interview, but it's close enough to what you would expect here. Um, and I, it was my way of saying, you know, yeah, me, me a culpa. So uh, there you go. So we're going to play uh, a conversation with Kurt Warner, a little bit on what he thinks about Carson Wentz and why he's intrigued by Sam Howe, who, other than Kenny Pickett, may have been the guy that he liked the most. Well, not maybe. The guy he liked the most this year, the most intrigued by in this class. We'll, we'll hear from him in a moment on the Standard Room Only podcast, which, of course, you can find on iTunes, Spotify, or anywhere you do your podcasting, including the Athletic app. Um, all right, so a couple quick things here. Um, first off, I have multiple articles up, so I didn't leave you guys too high and dry. If you're an athletic subscriber, on Wednesday I shared my breakdown of what I saw out there, including the Chase Young of it all. And then Friday morning, uh, I wrote a. I was talking to a friend about different movies we have or haven't seen, and the uh, the other guys. I guess that's the Will Ferrell, Mark Wahlberg movie. Haven't seen it. Sorry if that's a, if that's offensive to anyone. But that sort of conversation kind of got me thinking a little bit about the other guys on this team a little bit. And that led me to write something that's up today about the guys we're not talking about. So not with no, nothing about Carson Wentz, Terry McLaurin, Chase Young. It's the guys who are going to be, you know, other starters, reserves, low-key players that are we, we need to pay attention to because, you know, you know how it is. This is the ultimate team sport. You need the quarterback. You need the star receiver. You need the, the pass rusher. But you need everything else as well. And – this is a look to get a, to a chance to take a look at some of those guys, including Bobby McCain and John Bates. So you can check that out on the Athletic. All right, um, some quick notes here before we get to Kurt Warner. Um, I think John Dotson to me was the, the the main standout, at least among the offensive players at uh, Wednesday's session, which, as I said, was it's a, it's a morning session, but it's scorching hot, and uh, you know. Not that the players are too worried about that. They're they're well. They're in fit and hydrated. Uh, only more of an issue for some of the uh, older cr- cr- 
<laughs> oh, older, older out of shape sports writers, perhaps. Um, in any event, I thought Jahad Dotson looked impressive. Again, you know, I always feel like I need to preface any type of praise or criticism that comes with OTAs by saying it is OTAs. It's a limited structure, all those types of things. But Dotson within that was a guy that just stood out. Whether it was taking a short uh, pass from Kurt War- from Kurt War- from Carson Wentz and turning into a nice gainer uh, after the catch. Uh, whether he made a contested catch along the sidelines on a throw from Taylor Heineke that was a good throw, but like sort of like head high, um, and he made that as well. There's an enthusiasm about him. There's a maturity about him that's noticeable. J.D. McKissick was among those raving about Dotson and, and what he's been able to show so far. The coaches uh, are clearly big fans as well. So for me, Dotson has stood out. Now, uh, obviously, Terry McLaurin is missing from this room, so that leaves some opportunities for others. But you know, I, I, I think Dotson is, you know, again, not going to say he would be your ex receiver if Terry McLaurin uh, is out or something goes unbelievably haywire there. Um, and that's part of the point. Scott Turner was saying he doesn't, he's not looking for, for Dotson right now to do anything specific. He's just using him in different ways, trying to get a feel for all the d- different ways he can use him in, in, in uh, formations pass patterns, et cetera. Same thing, obviously, the quarterbacks are learning him as well. Uh, it's been good so far. <clears throat> and, you know, when we talk about, and this is something we're going to talk about with Kurt Warner, the weapons that Carson Wentz has at his disposal, deeper group than what he had in, certainly in Indy last year and probably for most of the time in Philadelphia as well, if not all the time. So, you know, Dotson, uh, my thing typically when it comes to rookies in these scenarios I'm not trying to see if the guy's a star because it's, you know, again, the the formatting, the format doesn't always lend itself to really telling us that. But do they look the part? Because some guys can look overwhelmed off the bat. They can look, they don't quite belong at this level. This is an adjustment going from college to the pros. I'm not seeing any of that with John Dodson. So good start for him. I think he's standing out. will be interesting to see where he develops from here. Um, on the other side of the ball, I think what stood out to me the most was we keep wondering who's going to be the 11th defender, right? We know the four starting linemen, defensive linemen, when they're healthy. We know the four in the secondary, the base four, when hel- when everybody's available, which they are now. And we're pretty confident that Cole Holcomb, Jamie Davis are the linebackers. The question is, who's the other 11th player? Is the Buffalo nickel, if it's going to be that role, is that a Percy Butler situation? If it's a third linebacker, you know, I don't know. Is it David Mayo or Khalid Hudson at this point? Uh, it could be a cornerback as well. And Benjamin St. Juice, the second round pick, or the, sorry, the second year player, the third round pick from Minnesota, would be a candidate in, you would think, from like a traditional uh, nickel situation, right? Where he's on the outside, which he was last year. You move Kendall Fuller inside, and there you go. Except, as we've discussed, Kendall Fuller was much more effective outside last year. Ron Rivera praised his vision for that. For, for that role compared to Josh Norman level, which obviously from Rivera's perspective is a pretty high pretty high praise. So they want to keep Fuller outside, it looks like, which makes logical sense. And that's why it was interesting to see St. Juice inside as the slot corner in Wednesday's practice. I'm told he was there Thursday as well. We were not out there for Thursday or Tuesday. The, you know, he's 6'3". Doesn't you wouldn't have thought that he would have been a guy with sort of those swivel hips you want on the inside? But Rivera said, you know, there are teams that obviously use big targets inside. Just as one example, 
we talked a lot about Drake London entering the draft. He played slot a ton in college, and he's a huge guy. So I think what Rivera wants to do here is get a look for the different options. In this case, does he have a big defensive back he can use inside when needed, whether it's a, a tall tar- receiver like a Drake London, maybe even a tight end, what have you. And St. Juice is obviously that guy. So I thought that was interesting. For what it's worth, Bobby McCain told us as well that he, not necessarily in the mix for the Buffalo nickel, but that he could be in play for some slot corner duties as well. And that would be a way to have three safeties on the field. Uh, you know, If Percy Butler they view as more of a free safety, which is Chris Sims, uh, the NBC Sports analyst, said that he thought Percy Butler was the best free safety in this draft, that McCain could move into, who had cornerback skills earlier in his career with the Dolphins, maybe gets a little bit of that corner run. You put, you keep Cam Curl at sort of that more strong safety, Butler at the free and go from there. Again, at this point, it's, they're mixing and matching. They're seeing what to do. I still have questions about who's going to be the 11th defender the most of the time, but it was interesting to see. St. Juice was out there, of course, a lot at the beginning of last year. He's a talented player. They like him. Um, concussions, you know, kind of hampered his rookie year, obviously. But I wouldn't have necessarily thought even of him inside. They're giving him a look. We'll see how this goes for sure. Um, all right. So that's going to – let me just cut it there. You can, I've got plenty more, like I said, on The Athletic about what happened at OTA this week and uh, what's been going on in camp. More with Steve Wino in a few moments. But let's get to Kurt Warner. The next voice after I stop talking will be Kurt Warner. As I said, this was not a standard interview from a podcast perspective, but we just were talking a little bit. And here's a little bit of our conversation, starting with some thoughts about uh, Carson Wentz. Uh, Warner had some criticism of Wentz earlier uh, before the trade. So we sort of caught up with him a little bit there. And then, as I said, he's he's intrigued by Sam Howell. So we'll get to that uh, and more here on the Standard Room Only podcast. He can get back to, you know, the best Carson or, or you know, be better. Um, than he's been up to this point, uh, but but you got to see it, you know. I'm, you can't ever go and say, "No, I know he's going to do it." I, I don't know, and that becomes the the real question with a lot of these guys, you know, the Daniel Joneses and everybody, is that you know we see moments. We know these guys aren't terrible quarterbacks, but are they that guy? You know, are they the franchise quarterback? And what you need from a franchise quarterback to be competitive, because that's ultimately what it comes down to. And that's kind of where Carson is. He's shown us enough to intrigue us to say, yeah, we think he's got the ability to do it all. But he hasn't shown it to us consistently enough for us to be confident that, yet, yeah, without a doubt, we're going to see that Carson wins this year. I, I don't know the answer to that. But but I'm hoping. You know, I'm hoping he can get back to that, and I hope we can find a, a good spot and they play to his strengths and, and we can finally see what he's capable of being, you know, year in, year out, week in, week out at this level. Do you like the, the the combination of him with these weapons? Obviously, you have McLaurin, Curtis Samuel. Hopefully, he's able to play this year. They just drafted a receiver in the first round. They got a, a bunch of running backs now. Logan Thomas, Wentz likes going to the tight end. Do you like the combination of Wentz with these playmakers? I mean, I don't look at it with Wentz. I mean, I think they got playmakers. Yes, and any quarterback needs playmakers around them. I mean, that's just the bottom line: is that no great quarterback's ever great by himself. You got to have playmakers, and you use those playmakers to their strengths and to the strengths of what Carson does. I, yeah, I mean, I think you know you got two weapons on the outside. You got Logan Thomas, without a doubt. JD is you know one of the special guys out of the backfield. 
Uh, and Tony, I love the, their ability to run the football and, and help there. So, yeah, I mean, to me, there's, there's plenty of weapons there uh, to allow Carson to have the opportunity to, you know, to show what he's capable of. I don't look at this team and go, oh, man, it's going to have to, you know. Whereas last year, you know, when he was in Indy, I think we could have said that a little bit. Like, maybe he doesn't have the best supporting cast in the passing game. And so, again, when I assess those things, I don't look necessarily at, oh, you know, are these guys winning all the time? When I assess quarterbacks, I analyze what I think they should be doing with the football. And do they do that consistently? When it's time to throw, do they make the throw they're supposed to make? So I'm not putting it all on their weapons. But, yeah, I I do believe that, you know, he's going to have as much weaponry, you know, from a skill standpoint um, this next year that as maybe he's ever had in the NFL, you know, even going back to Philly, I, I, I can't think to myself a time where they had, you know, this many talented guys in the passing game, uh, you know, it could all be on the field at one time. Um, yeah, no, I, I think that's right. Um, I really appreciate the time. Uh, am I right? I've been looking something up about you also, but regarding, uh, and I came across the, 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 the rookie quarterback that you like the most in this class was Sam Howell, or at least, Maybe maybe of the non Kenny Pickett's. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I thought Kenny was the most consistent this year, and, and, and you know, if if I was taking one guy, I probably would have taken Kenny Pickett first. But I'm most intri- I'm intrigued, uh, especially the second tier and beyond by Sam Howell. Um, you know, the number of games he's played, the success that he's had. Um, you know, I think the ball jumps off his hand. I think he may be the most natural or gifted thrower in this class. Um, so yeah, I am, I'm, I'm very intrigued by Sam, um, and what he brings to the table. Um, and just because I've seen it for a number of years, and I think he was knocked a little bit because, you know, he played with all that talent and he had great success with all that talent. Then he loses some of that talent and he's asked to do a lot more by himself. And I, I think oftentimes that takes a quarterback away from his game when, you know, you, you feel like you have to, and you kind of use that term hero ball. You feel like you have to do more for your team than just making the layups. And I felt like at times last year, Sam did that. Like, I got to make every throw. I got to make every play. Um, so, again, you know, yes, it was his last year playing. Yes, that was, you know, some of the things that he fell into. But what's he going to be at this level? Gifted thrower, ball comes off his hand. We've seen him have great success at the college level. Uh, so I think there's a lot of stuff there to work with uh, to build off of. And I'm, I'm intrigued to see what kind of quarterback he can be at this, at this level. All right. Obviously, great to hear from a Hall of Fame quarterback like Kurt Warner on Washington's quarterback situation. It will be interesting to watch these guys. We've obviously talked a ton about Wentz. And I mentioned before, I just think, you know, if, if something were to happen to take Wentz out of the lineup after, let's say, the halfway point of the season, I'm intrigued to see if Sam Howell is that guy. Uh, I asked Scott Turner the other day at – OTA, kind of how far along Sam Howe was, he couldn't, you know, relative to playing, and he kind of, you know, tempered expectations in terms of immediacy, but, you know, he's got a good arm, there's intrigue, the fact that he slipped to the fifth round, you know, the league said we're not that interested relative to others, but I do think there's an upside here for a guy that was projected to be one of you know, argue with the number one pick in the draft the year before. So, uh, Kurt Warner's got an intrigue. I, I'm, I've, I've said before, for me, Sam Howe was the guy that 
on a pound for pound basis, I kind of wasn't interested the most as well among those top five quarterbacks. We will see what happens down the line in camp. And if, you know, like I said, is he going to be ready to go? Should Carson Wentz miss time to get into um, the game where they go with him over Heineke based on upside or where they go lean into the experience that, of course, Taylor Heineke would have in spades over Sam Howell. Um, here's what we're going to do now, though. We're going to pivot back to kind of what's happening here in day-to-day land on the commander's front. Steve Wino and I from the Associated Press Talk, Chase Young, later from Congress, the D.C. Stadium stuff. And, of course, you know, Steve is out there all the time with us on the commander's beat, but he's most known for his hockey coverage for the Associated Press. He also has a podcast the All's Caps podcast he shares with former Caps defenseman Carl Alsner. He's also got a book coming out later this year, Odd Man in Hockey's Emergency Goalies and the Wildest One-Day Job in Sports. You can order that wherever you do your books, uh, wherever you buy your books. Um, but right now, we're going to be talking commanders. Let's do it here on the Standard Room Only podcast. All right. Joining the podcast, as promised, he's your go-to guy for all things hockey for the Associated Press. But for our purposes today, we're using him because he was—he's always out with me at Commanders uh, headquarters. We watched some OTAs yesterday. We we heard from Chase Young, and he wrote about the latest going on with the Commanders Congress and so on. He is the great Stephen Wino. I'm going with call signs now, Wino. You're my first one. Call sign Pucknut. Fuck not. So that's that's like that's the top. You're going like Top Gun style here. Yeah, I'm all in on Top Gun. I, I, I you like the you movie, I, right? So we, we both saw it, by the way, over the weekend. Oh, I didn't know that you saw it as well. Yeah, I mean, well, I apologize now to the listeners. We may be talking about Top Gun for the next 20 minutes. Uh, I think, yeah, I, I think everyone in the country is going to see it. So I think this is actually this works. It, so this was the first movie I saw in the theater. I think I've said this on here. Yeah. Since the pandemic, I texted with you and our our guy Brian McNally, and you both. I believe said the exact same thing. You were going to go see the movie and you had not been to the theater in all this time. I talked to one or two other people who had a similar reaction. So it does feel like I'm not a Marvel guy. Maybe I don't know if you guys are, but like, so this was for me. Okay, let's go. And for 30 something years of of what, I mean, I never pondered a Top Gun 2 really (laughs) until they told us it was going to happen. Then, then then it's happening. Then there's a three year delay or whatever it is could not have lived up to expectations more uh it was i was thoroughly it was not just exciting for the uh the action stuff but the like, emotional components were the legit there i i, I loved it yeah and, and after standing out in the heat with you yesterday at commander central the the, the, the nice air-conditioned movie theater I, I might go back and see it again oh my god i looked in my it looked in the i got so i, I i'm an idiot uh kids if you go outside in the sun put on sunscreen you know when your mother is right about this i'm completely torched and i looked at myself this morning not great bob not, well, not... Yeah, we're, we're sunscreen kids <laughs> we're sunscreen for sure um all right so we're going to be pretty hyper focused here as, as i said in the intro we're going to start off with some of the football stuff specifically what actually didn't happen on the field but somebody who they need to have a really good year on the field when he's ready to come back and that's chase young who made his uh, ota debut his 2022 OTA debut this week. Actually, he made his OTA debut. He actually made his OTA debut, period, this week, because he didn't obviously show. Last year, he was there Tuesday when they opened this session. The media was out there on Wednesday, and he came out late to practice. 
again, he was doing whatever he was doing rehab, but like he eventually showed up, was on the field. He was there sort of uh, cheering on the guys watching the 11 on 11s. He's yelling for Montez sweat. He tells us later he's standing next to Jack Del Rio. So he's hearing sort of the signals and the play calls and the insight, and he's gaining info from that. Ultimately, the question at a basic level is when he's, when's he coming back? And on this front, why not? We don't actually know anything different there. He and Ron Rivera said all the right things. He's seemingly on track there. The, the doctors, the, both the, the, the team staff, the, the group in Colorado where he's been rehabbing Dr. James Andrews, who performed the surgery. Of course he did uh, on the knee uh, that they all were in consultation and that things are progressing. That's about as best we have. Nobody would give us, is he going to be ready to start a training camp by week one? We don't know. But base, but we can still read between the lines a little bit. Where are you at between reading the lines of like where Chase Young is right now and his recovery? Yeah, my, my my reading the tea leaves is I think I don't think he will miss a regular season game. Like I think Chase Young will play week one. Oh, he's, I think he's all in for week one. I think to to, to borrow to borrow a, an old phrase. Um, I I I think ultimately he's going to be on the field at some point in training camp. And, and I don't know if that's when they put the pads on, but like, I, I'm sure he's going to want to test that knee at some point in training camp, veteran mini camp, which is in mid June. I don't know if that's a realistic target, given that he's not even on the field walking through stuff within the OTAs when they're not in the pads and all that. Uh, but this is a, this is a process. And, and, and he had the, he tore the knee in, in middle of November, had surgery at the end of November. So I think we're looking at August as a realistic timeline that puts you what nine months essentially away and, and even with the, the patellar tendon situation where he had part of the, the other, the left knee grafted to kind of fix the right knee, I don't know how much of that complicates the rehab. I think it complicated the surgery a bit, but Dr. James Andrews obviously has had done a million of these surgeries, probably literally a million of these surgeries, and, and knows what he's doing. And so I, I don't know if that complicates it as much, but I, I think the team and, and his, his trainer and his people are slow playing this because there's no rush for him to be on the field August 1st or, or by that first preseason game at 1 p.m. against the Panthers on, on August 13th. I don't think that's a, a, a thing that they need to kind of focus on. But if he needs to kind of test it and make sure he's okay, I think he gets into maybe that last pre, that second preseason game against the Chiefs or maybe that last preseason game at the Baltimore Ravens and, and then is ready for week one. Right. I mean, if you do the, you know, I think at this point, we all kind of, when a guy has an ACL injury, I don't think any of us panic anymore, typically, uh, you know, these things tip or, you know, they're pretty, it's not career ending, right? Right. It feels fairly routine. Guys come back and play as well. You almost don't even notice the difference anymore. And, but let's just say, I think in my nine months always feels like kind of where we're at and he got hurt November had surgery in somewhere in late November, nine months would be August. Right. So if, if we're going that time frame, that puts you right into right. I don't know. I would imagine he probably doesn't play a preseason game, but it puts you right into that stretch. Maybe it's the end of training camp uh, and get a week or two before week one against uh, Wino's beloved Jacksonville Jaguars. Uh, so that part. I just realized reason. Chase Young against Trevor Lawrence. I just realized that's going to happen. Okay. Uh, it, could, it could happen. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Right. One, one, one versus. Uh, uh, no, no, that's not. That was a different year. That's Joe Burrow. Um, anyway, yeah, so that could absolutely happen. I will say, though, again, not a doctor. Uh, Chase Young going into a little bit about what was required for this surgery to take place, that they had to go into his other right. knee yeah. to graft some of the patella to then help the patella over here, which suggests You're that more the, worried about that, this than I am, I think. Well, I'm just, you know, I, 
in general, the less procedures you need for an operation seems to be better. And if you don't have to go into the knee, I would, uh, for no, for, I don't say for no reason, if you don't have to go into Mm -hmm. a knee, I would think you don't want to. So I, and, and, um, you know, our pal Nikki Jabala, who was on with me the other day, she tweeted out based on the same information that like, uh, you know, it sounds like by the way Chase Young is describing it, they didn't just repair the ACL. And this is the right knee is the injury. The left knee is where they went into to graft some of the patella there to help the other one that it, it's it's more like they didn't just repair it, that they had to maybe reconstruct it. Now, I don't know. I'm going to try to actually try to speak this to an orthopedic surgeon. It just seems like it's a little more complicated, perhaps. And maybe if that's true, that's not the standard timeline that we're talking about. It doesn't mean you won't come back and be close to 100%. I just mean maybe maybe that's where they're, they're, they're expressing caution, which is, of course, prudent. But maybe there's a little more to it because there was a little extra here. Again, neither one of us know, but that was just my one thought listening to all this. And, and, and as much as you, you asked this question of, of, of Chase Young, and we all asked this of Ron Rivera, of like we want, everybody wants a timeline. Everybody wants a kind of he'll be ready by such and such a, a day. But I think it's right, not because of, of what you said and just kind of the time in general and the long term of, of wanting Chase Young to have a, a career here and not just worry about this season, that I think it's prudent not to, to, to mention a timeline here. I, I, I don't think setting an artificial goal here makes any sense. Uh, now, that artificial goal might still want to be in week one. Like they want him on the field for the season opener, that sort of thing. But if it's not that, it's not the end of the world. I think I think one of these, if it winds up being an 11-month recovery and he's back by mid-September, end of September, and misses one or two games, that's not the worst thing in the world because you don't want him, you don't want him even thinking about this. I'm not even, I'm not even talking about re-injuring it. You don't want him hesitating on it. And our colleague Matt Paris asked this about kind of like, do you have to worry about kind of trusting both of those knees now? Because you mentioned obviously having that, that graph taken out of, of his left knee. And, and he kind of brushed it off. I, I sort of brushed it off in my mind because it's not like he had that one kind of repaired, but the repair that was done on the right knee, certainly there, there's there's reason why he went to Colorado or is, has gone to Colorado to have these gadgets and kind of working on this. Because I think it's a matter of of, tr- of building up the strength in what's a brand new knee, essentially, after, after getting reconstructed. And now having Chase Young with the way he plays and kind of what you need to be a pass rusher in football and kind of the push off of, of your knees that you need. I think it's important for him to mentally be there as much as physically. Right. For, for, for sure. And okay. So that's the, the gist. We don't have a great feel. I think both men, there was enough encouragement there. What I didn't hear anybody. I don't know. And part of this also is Chase Young is a perpetually it's either, it's either. So Rivera, I always call an optimist. I don't know if I would call Chase Young an optimist, but I call Chase Young sort of optimist naive kind of like he just seems like life is he just goes through life and things happen. And look, he's obviously been very successful, had a lot going right for him in his young life. Um, so I don't necessarily know. And this is part. Well, this is going to veer into the part about what does Chase Young is he starting to get it on the football side of what he needs to do to win? But, you know, he seems to bounce around. Nothing's going to get me down. You know, I asked him, I, I was trying to ask him if he learned anything about this experience, learned anything about himself through this experience. He took it, I think, more of a question about um, d- did he learn about what went wrong last year and he on the field? And he was like, oh, that was last year was last year. You know, we're moving on. Okay, so I, 
I don't know that he's always like the most like in the moment he kind of guy on like or, or or introspective guy, I should say. Right. <clears throat> I think so, your take, I think your take I think your take on this is correct. By the way, I I, I think I think he's a he's a growing, maturing kid still. He's twenty three. Sure. I mean, and that's the thing, right? I mean, you know, like Jahan Dotson, you, you were there. We talked to him not this week, but the previous week. He comes across in a very different way, similar there. to like a Terry McLaurin guy, where you're like, okay, like if you wanted to make me ru- have this guy be run my company or be on my board, I could consider doing that. They're clearly thoughtful. They're they're they're, they're thinkers. They they're not getting too high, too low. They're, they're processing everything. It's not just about the the image. It's like, okay, well. What, what is actually happening here? Let me give you a thoughtful response. Um, that's a different type of deal. So everybody does their own thing. I say this all the time. I'm the most immature dude anybody knows, especially considering my age. Uh, trust me, I'm not even lying on that one. So all that, okay, so everybody has their own stuff. But the, let's get down to the football side of this. Again, Chase Young had a disappointing year last year. There's no really ifs, ands, or buts about it. Because even before the injury, you know, one and a half sacks through, uh, was it nine games? Yep. The uh, or you know, he got hurt in the Tampa game, but it was, it was the ninth game. All the other numbers were were, were were down as well per game numbers, and so on. And you know he of course skipped OTAs as we said. He later, right before the Tampa game, was asked about kind of does he feel like skipping led to this slow start? He's like, you know, I got to go make my money. You all would have done the same type of deal. At a point that they were two and six, struggling, he's not off to a good start. That's the type of thing I'm talking about. Like, he's not quite. He, it's an honest answer, which is what we want. And yet, at the same time, it's like, Ugh, d- should there be perhaps be a little more humility? That's how my brain works. Maybe his doesn't. And that's what I want to see from him. That what lessons has he learned along the way here? And back in the owners' meeting, Ron Rivera said when he had talked to Chase prior, just prior to that point, that he felt that there was sort of an awakening. And that was kind of what I wanted to see yesterday. Now, I don't know if you agree with me. On, you said you agree with me on some of that. But what do you make of the idea of, do we, did we see anything from Chase Young that there was some sort of awakening? While noting he was physically there, which in and of itself counts as a stride. So yeah, no, I'll, no, I'll note yeah. that. Yeah, no, no that, that to, my, that's my answer. Him being there is the stride for me. It's is him physically acknowledging, is him acknowledging, even though I'm rehabbing and he missed last week. And that was, it did raise our eyebrows because Ron Rivera did tell you guys at, at the owner, owners meetings that, that he expected Chase Young to be there at OTAs this time, especially after it was such a topic last year that he wasn't there, that I think Chase Young physically being present was enough of a stride. I don't know that he needs to, to us to kind of show that awakening. I, I don't, I don't guess as much as it'd be good for our jobs. I don't think it matters. I think if he is showing that to Ron Rivera, and he's showing that to Jack Del Rio and to his teammates that he's there and that he consciously understands the work he needs to put in because you're right. He has had success in his life and it's not like, I'm not, we're not saying he hasn't worked for it. That's that, that's not it. <clears throat> but I think you and I are on the same page that he is so naturally talented at this, right. that it's not like he needs to put a whole lot of, he doesn't think he needs to put a whole lot of thought and work into being great because he's just naturally great. It's why great coaches don't are, are great players aren't often great coaches because they just do it. It's very hard for Wayne Gretzky to explain or, or, or for a Peyton Manning to explain how they do their job. They're just really good at doing it. Chase Young, and, and I don't, and he did. It, it, success came very naturally for him in college. It came naturally as, as in his rookie year, as, the, as AP Defensive Rookie of the Year, or defensive, and, and had that happen. And then when the struggles start, 
then you're like, okay, well, is there a step he needs to take to kind of be a professional? And, and I don't know if that, that's necessarily off the field stuff or that stuff he needs to do in the gym or, or kind of tactically ab- about that. But yeah, I, I do think we, that, that the team needs to see out of Chase Young, does he, has he come to grips with needing to do those things, to be a professional and the jury's still out. I mean, it's, it's, it's June. They, they need to see this by August and, and September when, when games actually start, but physically being there was, a, was a stride. And I think having, being in the, in the building and being around Ron Rivera and those sort of things and, and, and acknowledging the, the, the point of being there is a good first step. Uh, all, all true. And, you know, ultimately when we get, you know, dialed further into just how is this team going to do this year? I wouldn't definitively say they will rise and fall as Chase Young produces, but at the same point, kind of, because, I mean, they obviously have, like, if John Allen, Deron Payne, Montez Sweat all crush it, Chase Young can have a subpar year, and maybe the impact isn't going to be felt, but he is effectively the face of the defense, and they are, you know, when we talk on here about, are they going to pay Deron Payne or not, and if if they do or they don't, what does that mean for Montez Sweat? All this is part and because we're assuming Chase Young is going to be the guy they do pay, right? Because he is the number two pick. He is from here. He is the guy you put on the poster. There, he's the one. If we, you know, played the game, you know, if we played uh, some sort of uh, Commander Squid Game or whatever, uh, you know, you ranked it, like Chase Young's a two seed or one, I don't just mean because he's a two pick. He's very high. It's Terry McLaurin, him. I don't know. That may be the list. That's, the That's it. That's the list. <laughs> right. So he needs to do this, not just even for the production. But for the perception, for the mindset, the locker room needs to buy into him. And especially they're giving him the captain, you know, they've they've made him a leader and all this stuff, despite being a young guy. So it's very important that he does not suck to use a, uh, use a, use a line from, 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 uh, from uh, entertainment world. But yeah, that would be thing. So we'll see where he's at. He's still got some time to recover. I'm with you. I don't think I said before, like I'm imagining he'll be there for week one but maybe add a tick more pause based on the idea of how this procedure kind of went. Yeah, no, and I, 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 and, and, and you're right. I do, I do think he's the, he's the key to that defense because of, of what a pass rush does. Montez Sweden is great and all, but yes, it's, it, this is Chase Young's franchise now. L- l- lastly, did he get taller? I don't know if it was the angle, but I was looking back at like my angle. pictures. It was, it, was, it was definitely the angle. Scott, <laughs> our, our, our boy Scott Abraham's not that short. Right, like I, I tweeted out a picture and he, he just looked tall in general, Chase Young. Uh, but I mean, he is tall, he's 6'5", but like, it just looked like he got somehow bigger or yeah, Scott Abraham, if you, you can look go on my Twitter feed and see, he just, he looks like he's Muggsy Bose. You and I are not, you and I are not 6'5". We are not. Cool. I, I, I'm not, I'm not six foot, I'm not six foot tall in my dreams. <laughs> well, hopefully you're dreaming about some other fun things instead. Um, all right, let's go to not fun things. Let's go to Congress who g- jump back into the commander story. Literally, as we were about walking off the field at practice, they told us, okay, we're wrapping up the final session. Let's go over here to the uh, where we're going to do the, the the interviews. And we get the, the we see the tweets about uh, the oversight committee has sent a letter to Dan Snyder, owner of the commanders, and NFL commissioner Roger Goodell requesting their presence at a hearing on Capitol Hill to discuss in essence, the the whole situation that's been going on here with the commanders and use it as a way to help look at workplace uh, 
harassment, dysfunction, things along those lines, and to basically kind of use the commanders as an example as to what not to do going forward, how to improve things like that. But okay, and that's noble goals and so on. But we are here to discuss the commanders, and therefore the question. And so it's a we've been kind of wondering where is this going to go. There have been you know there's been these hearings and there's been this hearings, and eventually it's sort of hey, are you going to bring in Dan Snyder? You you want documents? Are you going to really sub- are you going to subpoena? Roger Goodell and Dan Snyder to do what you want. We're not there yet, but we've taken a step closer to that potential end game. So you and I talked about this yesterday on the radio. uh, And I have a different thought after uh, that we didn't get into there, but give me your first impression about what, because you wrote about this for the AP, your, what Congress did yesterday and what it kind of means. Well, it's it's the logical next step, right? I mean, like you're you're having this whole hearing and whatever about an organization. You want the guy who runs the organization, like you you want the the the, the human being, a man or woman who runs a company, to to stand up for that company. If you're looking into any company, the person who runs it, who owns it, is chiefly responsible for what happens at that company. So it's a natural thing to ask the owner of the football club and the the human being who runs the league to appear and answer questions. Now, will that actually happen? I don't know. I think there's a better chance that Roger Goodell appears than Dan Snyder appears, just based on kind of all of the the history of these two individuals and the situation and all that, that the lawyers involved in on all those sort of things. But ultimately, like this is what Congress does. They see a problem, they look into it. And, and, and certainly there's disagreement, you and I discussed this as well, about some of the Republicans on the committee think this is a waste of time and taxpayer money and all of that. And you've got the Democrats on the committee saying this is important for workplace issues and this sort of thing and kind of the big picture of it. Now, most of your listeners I'm probably don't care about, like not saying don't care about the big picture issues, but the, the question is, will Dan Snyder continue owning this team? And this investigation could go away, could go a long way. And also with Mary Jo White, uh, the NFL has kind of hired her to look into some of the financial stuff. And obviously Beth Wilkinson had her investigation into this, that ultimately that's the question. Will Dan Snyder continue owning this team? And it's not Congress's job to to kind of make that decision. It's the league and and the owner's decision in, in that department. But what Congress does and what Congress finds and whether this turns into any kind of Jerry Richardson situation in Carolina, which was a very quick He's selling the team to David Tepper. Uh, that 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 kind of happened very quickly. This has been a very slow burn, but ultimately, that's kind of the 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 end game for this is how much trouble is Dan Snyder in, and will he still own the team? Right. I mean, that's you're you're, you're right. You know, again, we weren't playing doctors before. We're not going to play congressional um, insiders now. But this is the, the the point here is what's the deal with Dan Snyder? This is all anybody ever wants to know. I'm sure I'm sure you get it too. You, you, t- you talk about the team, you tweet about the team. At some point, everybody's like, hey, look, I don't really give a crap about who's playing right guard or if they need a third linebacker. Is Dan Snyder going to own the team? This is what the over this is what is the uh overriding uh the, the overarching factor when all the stadium talk is happening beyond traffic and money. Do you want to do business with Dan Snyder? All these types of things. And uh yeah, this is it is a huge deal on that front. Now, so here's the deal, right? I mean, I've been saying for a while that I'm not suggesting there aren't a lot of questions that Dan Snyder and Roger Goodell need to answer. The question is, is this the forum to do it? But more specifically, why is Congress doing this? Why is the Oversight Committee getting into this? I, I Look, put aside what we think of Dan Snyder or anything. 
politics is politics. Everybody, they're always looking for a way to score points with their constituency, for to raise money for their elections, to get more attention. This is just political. This is this goes up every, both sides. This is the whole. This is the sure. deal. So this has always felt like that. When you do, when they show lists of who has the which entities in the country have the lowest approval ratings. Congress is always at, effectively at the bottom of the list. But you know who's below Congress, I would imagine, is probably Dan Snyder. Dan Snyder. Yeah. So this is an easy target. And they have, look, it's been effective to this point. It's constantly, it, it's brought up questions. We, we had uh, the, the roundtable they had in February included Tiffany Johnston making allegations against Dan Snyder. And so I'm saying it's a, in terms of continuing to ask questions, move the story forward, put more of a spotlight on the situation, they've done that. But you also have to ask, sort of what, what's the goal here? Because if it's the goal, if what I'm, if, if it is purely political, like I'm sort of questioning, not saying it is, we'll, we're about to see. Cause if it's just sort of political, this thing may not go much further, even from the, from the democratic controlled house uh, oversight committee, because they're all running for midterms right now. They, they, they've all, they, they've got to focus. There's plenty of other topics. Their, their districts, you know, the, the chairwoman of this uh, committee, Carol Maloney is from New York, right? Her, yes. her constituents don't care about Dan Snyder. They care about whatever whatever it is, gas prices, housing prices, taxes, schools, you know, the, the usual stuff. So how much are they going to keep focusing on this? But well, this, this is what this is okay. their job, right? I mean, this, this is this is what these particular this is what this committee is about, right? Is it, though, is, is it about is it about looking into a private uh, company like this? I think there's so much money involved in the NFL and these teams that makes it makes you say yes, because when you're looking at this from a big picture, you're running Congress, you're, you're running a committee. If an NFL team can do this, then any business can do this. This is like the Amazon union. So there, there, there's something to be said about the, the precedent this could set down the line. And, and I think that from a very noble standpoint is one thing. And that's, that, that's, that's the noble side of it. That's the, this is what we're supposed to be doing. We're supposed to be saying this. There's a problem here. There are more than 40 former employees who uh, who alleged things going wrong. Whether it's a toxic workplace culture or harassment or, or various things that, if you had a, a an Amazon or a Walmart or any of these companies having that similar problem, a Microsoft or whatever, that you would think the government would look into it. Now, and, and it's a totally yeah, right. Like like I, I think I think that's their point. But I. I I think you're right. I don't think this goes much beyond you. I don't think they, they're going to waste subpoena power on this because there are bigger fish to fry. Right. And, and you're totally right. And again, I'm not pretending I'm studying what the oversight committee does or the rules of the road and all that. But like, you know, there's been a bunch already they've done on this. And I have no, the oversight committee on this Twitter account on notifications <laughs> because of the, the commanders. I wouldn't have them on otherwise. Right. Um, but so, but anyway, but here's the point, right? So the question is, will Dan Snyder and Roger Goodell actually show up for these hearings? Now, logically, the answer would be, of course not. They're not if they're not being forced to. Why on earth would they subject themselves to that type of, especially if it's a public hearing? Why subject themselves to any of this? They can, you know, do their best to try to run out the clock, especially since if if it were to happen that the GOP, based on election projections takes over the house these com- th- these hearings go away the the the, the, the dan snyder's become a political topic the, the 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 right does it seems to be on that side on dan snyder's side of things these hearings will go away so if they can if dan snyder and the nfl can kind of run out the clock for the next few months this is not necessarily going to be issue for them but 
I was talking to somebody about this it, with, with with knowledge of how sort of the hill dynamics. If they if they do show up for the hearing without subpoena, then they're probably going to at least both by the committee, but also by the court of public opinion, be more get get more leeway when they when they skirt certain topics, when they choose not to answer, where they give incredibly vague responses, all that kind of stuff. But if they don't go to the hearing and get subpoenaed, now you're going to have to take the Fifth Amendment if you don't want to answer stuff. And doing so will give a very different view of what is happening because we've all watched enough courtroom dramas to know what it means, what we think typically when somebody is not, when somebody's giving the Fifth. doesn't mean they're guilty. It just means they're not being as forthcoming as everybody would like them to be. So it does feel like there may be a little bit of a game they're going to have to play here. Do they think the subpoena is coming? And if it does, well, then... They're the committees are really trying it is legitimately trying to get into something. But if they don't, then I, again, I don't know. It, it's I'm not saying this has been a waste of time by any stretch because we've learned a lot. There's you're, been, you're not the only person who, 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 who would say that. Though. Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, you know, there, again, there's been important information and questions should be asked. It's ridiculous that the Wilkinson report was never made public. All of Roger Goodell's responses to this have been preposterous. They're covering, you know, they're, they're protecting their own. We sort of get that. But that's to me like the game here. It feels like now is that Snyder and Goodell have to figure out, do we think we're going to be subpoenaed? And if we do, do we need to go forward, even though you and I would probably bet right now that they wouldn't want to go forward um, logically? Well, I, I think. OK, so the, the point of, of showing up in court of public opinion, this has always been my Dan Snyder theory, because we, we had a we had a, a, an, an afternoon. I forget if you were there for this in Richmond a few years ago where the Richmond writers always host a, a, a kind of a barbecue, a gathering when training camp is there. One of the Richmond writers hosts and Dan Snyder and Bruce Allen came to one of these, made an appearance at one of these. And Dan Snyder was very engaging, very conversational. I think among his people, rich, rich owners, that this kind of his class, I think he's a very good salesman. And I think people genuinely who deal with him on a daily basis like him, people in his class. But we haven't seen it. So there's no reason like a leopard doesn't change its spots sort of situation for me. I don't think Dan Snyder suddenly is going to show up and play that game when he's been unwilling for 20 plus years to play that game. Because if he would have played that game for the last 20 plus years, I don't know that the opinion of him would be what it is. And and, and certainly there's a level of if you're there and people see you, it's harder to rip somebody who you like and who is around and, and those sort of things. So I don't think he's interested in even playing that game. Roger Goodell, on the other hand, I, 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 I don't think it's like, it's like Mike Trout said, commissioners get booed. Like, like, there's going to, I don't know that, that Roger Goodell cares what general people, people say <clears throat> about him, but I could see Roger Goodell showing up as a representative of the league saying, we've done nothing wrong. We have this investigation. We did this. Now they didn't want a report done. This is a very specific. They didn't want a written report. I, I, I covered the Chicago Blackhawks sexual assault scandal and the investigation and the multi-page report detailing X, Y, and Z happening. And if that happened with this organization, it would have been bad. So I think there was, was there was a directive to Beth Wilkinson to not put a written. I don't think there's a written report that exists. So everyone's saying release the report. I don't think there a report exists. I think it was intent. She has notes, and, and there was a presentation given orally in this. Well, he thing. said the order was don't don't right. make a report yeah do, do, do not make a report but i do think I, I i think i could i could see a way where roger goodell shows up as a representative of the league and dan snyder's lawyers send a kind of almost a testimony saying 
this is what Dan Snyder says, this is what his lawyers say, kind of like they did send the letter to the FTC explaining kind of, here's what, here's what we've got, but not have Dan Snyder physically appear. Because I, I don't think he's interested at all in playing that game. And, and it, it will be fascinating to see if neither one shows up, does Congress pull out, pull, pull the nuclear option and say, okay, we're going to subpoena and, and kind of release what they've heard, not just the financial stuff, but from these former employees who've alleged, alleged harassment and, and other things that if they release some of this information publicly and put pressure on the league and on Dan Snyder, kind of where it goes from there. Yeah, we'll see. I think what's going to be, what's interesting also about this is that like, it's, seems evident that while Roger Goodell is in his role as NFL commissioner is effectively doing his best to protect the league, but to a certain degree, one of the owners, because the owners are his bosses, they have been clearly been at odds over a lot of this, uh, you know, a lot of this as evidenced by Goodell saying that, you know, Snyder has not been kind of running the show and the Snyder world kind of saying, what are you talking about? He's never really left or things like that. Right. So, that, but in, and now, now that we're reaching this point, I kind of my my thinking is that these two sides are going to understand they need each other, and they got to figure out a way to work together on this because neither one of them really wants to necessarily go forward here. They need to get on the same page. So it would be really fascinating to see what kind of meetings have been going on up in New York, uh, d- down here, wherever wherever Snyder is in, in Ashburn or his palatial estate in Mount Vernon or whatever. Those meetings, I think they'd be pretty fascinating. Um, as of this moment, we're talking 11, 10 a.m. There is the, the commanders issued a general statement, as did the right. NFL, about wanting to, you know, willing to work and help, whatever. But, like, we haven't heard the – with the commanders, there's often the second statement that's clearly directly from the Dan Snyder side of the world that gets more uh, bitter and angry and frustrated. We haven't seen that yet. So uh, I imagine people had to probably talk him out of out of uh, sending something out, but at this point that that has not happened yet. Um, and by the way, just lo- lastly, to tie it in with the last topic I have with with, with Wino, uh, the the story I put up on the Athletic on Tuesday, right before we expected the Virginia General Assembly to vote on the stadium funding bill, was to say that as as the world continues to go against the Commanders in their search for a stadium that waiting is a viable option for them. It should be discussed more than, than we've been discussing it publicly. One, the 2027 timeline to leave FedEx field is artificial. Nobody's kicking them out. And two, a lot can change in eight months. I don't just mean that because life is very variables. I mean, like literally example, Congress, the, again, the, the, the house, the people running the house oversight committee right now may not be running the committee in eight months. And it's these types of variables that are in play. And I guess to a degree to spin this to the DC uh, case for getting the stadium or the DC s- situation right now, there's some of that in play as well. Uh, the Washington post had a, had an article out this week about how uh, the, their, the, the district's delegate to Congress, Eleanor Holmes Norton, who has been there. I suspect she's been there longer than you've been alive. Why no? I think that's actually a legitimate. And, 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 and still district for Columbia has no actual power. Correct. Right. That, that, that's it's, it's preposterous that, that we live in a country in which the any anybody doesn't have direct control of their own situation as a community city, let alone the nation's capital. That's There's a lot of things that don't make sense. It's one of it's a top five thing. Doesn't make it's, sense. A, it's a it's a it's a top five one. But this is where we're at. And any event, the the post put out a story and let me apologize here. I thought I had it up, um, but I, I don't directly in front of me. Oh, no, here it is. Um the the headline is 
Norton, uh, colon, DC leaders disagreement leaves RFK Stadium plan in lurch. And it talks about the lead paragraph is disagreement between DC's mayor and council chairman has for months prevented the introduction of a bill in Congress that would allow the city to purchase and develop the derelict RFK Stadium site, according to Delegate Eleanor Holmes Norton. And if this is sort of your intro into this topic, it makes it look like, oh, okay, well, DC needs to get its S together so that Congress can, they can work on a deal with Congress to get this land to the district. Is that is that a fair read of how if you, if you yeah. sort of have, don't know the background that's, that's, a, that's that, on the bare minimum yes it's, it, it, for years this has been the problem right and so this is my problem with sort of this right again all these stories you, you always have to ask yourself what's the purpose of this story right the purpose of this story is DC has not been very involved in the stadium talk <clears throat> the perception if not the reality like as I've talked to people you've talked to people is that Virginia certainly is trying general in some way maybe a little bit less momentum now maryland has at least put a proposal to say well we're not going to give you a dime for the stadium but we'd like you to kind of stay we'll build around it we'll help you for that we'll give you 400 million for that for that for those things to to help develop it in like sort of a you know one loud kind of a way with with, with stores and restaurants and things um but dc it's like eh. The RFK site's on federal land. You got to deal with that uh, that side of it. And the city can't get involved and nothing's really happening here. My problem though is this isn't new. I, I looked this up like just a, just a basic Google search. I, I think I just Googled like, like Eleanor Holmes Norton RFK. Press release from her office, March 26, 2019. Congressman Eleanor Holmes Norton today introduced a bill to sell the RFK stadium site, unused federal land to the District of Columbia for whatever fair market value this is an ongoing topic they've been yeah. trying to buy this get this land forever right it doesn't matter who's in office or what's going on it's a problem now right now there's some people may think this is the time for the debt for for it to for it to go because the democrats have the white house um and congress <laughs> but and and basically you know the, the, the they have the deciding vote in the senate but this is not a new topic. This has been going on forever. And the idea, and in, in, in this story, uh, Holmes Norton, she's quoted as saying, it's a fun quote. She says, quote, I'm stuck on stupid here. I can't move until they move, she said, of the D.C. leaders. It would be in their best interest to move now while we have control of the House, the Senate, and the presidency. All that may be true, but I just don't know if I buy that if, say, Bowser and Mendelssohn, the, you know, the other main leader here, got together that all of a sudden the land is showing up for dc that would be if that was the case i just think they would do it no no you're right but but, sorry are you suggesting that this was brought up again to say dc should be in this conversation it it seems like the timing that it came out as virginia is doing all it's doing is uh right because this came out on tuesday right the story was on tuesday the day that virginia was at least going to introduce the bill then it obviously was delayed I guess I'm just saying, I feel like DC is like, look, we're still here. Don't, you know, and, and again, politicians have their all have their own agendas. They're trying to, like, she's probably saying to some level, hey, I'm trying. And, and she is over the years, she's tried over and over again, and it doesn't ever get anywhere. I just find it hard to believe that based on how history has worked, that the, all of a sudden the holdup here is that the, uh, th- that, that, uh, that that mayor bowser and the uh, dc council can't get their act together is the problem I, I just find that hard to believe completely but you tell me 
you you know you are a a thinker here. What, what what's your view on on this whole situation? Well, I not to bring in the other sport I cover, but there's an eighty one to one long shot chance that RFK still happens, right? Like this this is like the, the this is everybody's dream. I think it's Dan Snyder's dream. I think it's your dream and my dream and everybody to have the new stadium at RFK. Like, like I think that's what everybody involved around the organization would want, unless you are living in Loudon or or whatever like I, I maybe I even know. living in capitol hill i think there is some notion that like people who live up there don't necessarily want it but and which is important and obviously that's what the dc politicians would have to consider what your constituents want well, but that our, our, our friend who lives near there is excited about the possibility of his property value going through the roof uh, <laughs> right. brian mcnally uh, and, and his wife uh just the the that that the, the, obviously if you build around there and obviously your property value would go up and he'd be able to like i don't know sell parking spots in front of his house whatever but I, whatever that works um yeah no I, I i still think it's a long shot chance but until this crap gets done it's not even a possibility so it's it's like the red tape of this should have been done years ago and this then rfk should be demolished and turn it into parks or whatever you're going to do with it whether it's a new stadium or something like that this is a problem that has existed for a while and is the ultimate sign of Government doesn't work. Like, like if you want to talk about gridlock and deadlock and all the dumb crap that 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 people say about the government and 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 all that sort of thing, this is it. This is the situation where everybody should get in a room, say, "This is sitting here. We need to do something about it and get it done in, in an hour and a half." But they haven't done it, and we don't know how government works. So, just like we're not playing doctors, we're not playing politicians here. This should have been fixed a long time ago. DC should be in a conversation for a stadium, at least to, to, to come to the table with Dan Siren and say, we have this land. Would you buy this land? Do you want to build here? Because as Dan Snyder, who grew up a fan of this team, would love to build a stadium at RFK. I think everybody involved would want that. And it just feels like it doesn't make any sense. It just like nothing makes sense about the situation, about why they're not already, this land is not available. And, and I, don't, I don't know whether this, because you mentioned that the Democrats in Congress and Eleanor Holmes Norton mentioned this. Everybody thought when Glenn Youngkin won the, the, the gubernatorial race in Virginia, that that would be good for Dan Snyder and good for the commanders and the stadium. And he didn't want to spend any money. So that hasn't been a, a necessarily a, a good sign. So I don't know if the political waves matter here, but this something needs to give on, on the RFK stadium site, because every time I drive by it on the way back from FedEx field, I get angry because you, you're like, I could be here. I, I, I could be home already. It just, it, it, everything about the stadium still sitting there and this useful land in this, what should, in a vibrant city, a nation's capital, it should not be going to waste. And something should be there, whether it's a stadium or an arena. Hey, you don't think Ted Leonsis, who's been kind of griping about the, 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 what he's paying for a Verizon Center or, or, or Capital One Arena, wouldn't love to, to consider an RFK stadium arena site uh, don't don't overlook what can be done with that land but something has to give before we can even have that conversation and this is way out of our out of our lanes of, of what can be done but something needs something needs to be done here right and, and i guess my point like and i think you kind of probably said it a little bit better is it's not that right logically this should be done already i mean so i heard this somewhere mentioned that like the reason that the physical rfk stadium structure is still up is they can't even get the building permits the, 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 oh, they can't even do the, the the paperwork or whatever to just tear it down just to get rid of it and then okay here you know move on from that they can't even do that right now and yeah logically this should be dealt with and i guess my only point is to say i 
there's too many times I just find like there's there's information out there that makes the casual think, oh, something is it's something is about to happen. When I'm just saying this has been going on forever. This isn't a brand new situation. It is a little unique right now. I I grant you that the Democrats have some control over everything, but I don't buy that. Like all of a sudden, there's a magic. That there's clearly so much dysfunction that's been going on forever that it isn't just as simple as saying get this done. Even if it's not for the RFK stadium or for a new stadium, just for the for DC's own usage that right. they couldn't have gotten this done by now because there's a whole other there's a whole other game that goes on with this. Yes, it would be ideal, but unfortunately, we're not living in an ideal situation uh, when it, at least at a minimum when it comes to this particular topic. Yeah, and and, and you're, you're right. Maybe there are things probably at play that we don't understand here, but I wouldn't go dreaming about an RFK Stadium site until something gets done. Right. I will note that uh, the story that I mentioned for the Athletic when I tweeted it out about the idea of waiting. Um, Martin Aushumer, <clears throat> I'm, I'm butchering his name, sorry. Let me look it up rather quick. Uh, Martin, who was on, he covers DC politics. He was on this podcast uh, a few weeks ago when we were talking about the stadium uh, topic. He retweeted my story. Uh, Martin Ostrom, real apologies. Uh, he retweeted my story. And right after he did, the chief of staff of Vincent Gray's office, who was obviously a big time DC politician, also retweeted the story, which was interesting. I mean, that was before the post story came out about this whole kerfuffle. So that to me was a sign of both saying, Hey, yeah, give us time, wait, <laughs> let's see what happens. But also like that there are some people in DC who are open to this, that it isn't just about, there are people who clearly don't want it. And for maybe just for the simple reason, if you don't want to give taxpayer money to fund the stadium or give money or help billionaires, but there is some interest. It's just there's a lot going on, but there's always a lot going on. And I think that's the only point I'm uh, ultimately trying to make here with this. Um, Wino, any other thoughts on anything um, commanders related? You, you got you got you got a you got a Stanley Cup uh, uh, prediction here. You know you you want to tell us about the Belmont Stakes? Anything you want to share before I let can you I, go? Can I can I plug my book? Oh my god. Yeah, I, kind of, I, 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 it's, it's not, again, it's not football related. I, I did write a, a back, book on emergency backup goalies. It's called Odd Man In uh, Hockey's well, kind of just search Odd Man In on, on Amazon. You can pre-order it. It's out in October 25th. But I actually wanted to, you, you brought up what we were talking uh, before we got on the air about 2027. Who do you think from this team is still around in 2027? Yeah, so uh, I mentioned to, to Wino, I did uh, – radio last night on 1067 the fan with brit giroli wino came on as a guest and um at one point i'll be honest brit and i were kind of running out of steam it was a long day anyway so why because we keep talking about 2027 i came up with the random question who in D, who in dc sports will be here then um and with the commanders it is pertinent we asked john allen the other day about the stadium somebody did because he's, he's local. Like, he's like i hope i'm still playing like right he's like well i don't know if i'll be here but that'd be great and to me that was like yeah that's the that is something that's notable about all this. It is silly, right? If they had actually gotten Russell Wilson, how that probably changes some perceptions. Forget fans, like from politicians, about, oh, what this means, even though Russell Wilson wouldn't be here probably in five years. You know, for well, that's, that's the silly part about the politicians here, right, is is the uh, – they don't trust the direction of the franchise. Sure, they haven't won anything since the 90s. Yeah, of course, but it's still an NFL team that – like, look, the Jacksonville Jaguars – haven't won anything well but, the like, cincinnati bengals have been one of the more hapless franchises forever they went I mean, they a, had the number one pick in 2020 and hmm. two years later they're in the super bowl 
Yeah, what, what, what if Scott Turner is the next coach and he's this genius? You know what I mean? Like, who, who the heck knows what's going to happen by 2027? Like, I would think the only guys who might be around are like Jahan Dotson, maybe, Terry McLaurin, maybe, like, right? Right, right. I mean, if, you know, assuming that like Chase Young has three years this year and two more years left on his deal, assuming he resigns, then his yeah, contract sure. would keep him. Sure. Beyond there, but like, but like a handful of guys, you could have a Mount Rushmore of maybe four guys on this team, anywhere around this team or around. And, and by the way, isn't that like the point of like, when we're talking about like how you can't ignore the politics in any of this is the idea of, of questioning the viability of the franchise. Again, we all get it. They've been a kind of a mess to be kind over the last 20 years. They've no, no, no playoff wins since 2005. But tomorrow yeah. could be very yeah. different. And the idea that you're going, if you want an NFL team, you want the team. I I mean, like, it's just not, I mean, they easily could be different tomorrow. The Phoenix Suns, who are owned by Robert Sarver, a guy who's sort of the NBA version to a degree of Dan Snyder, they were in the NBA finals last year, even though people have, I mean, he's got it and he has his own major investigation going on, right? They just made the NBA finals uh, last year. They were the one seed this year in the playoffs. Things can change. So and it's still the, valuable, right? Like, like if, like if, if this team were to sell for any reason, it's we're talking in the billions, right? We're like, talking two like billion five, dollars. Oh, I think they would sell. I think, like I saw for the Denver Broncos, the NFL told prospective buyers, "You better come in at starting at four billion, or don't bother." So, so I mean, like, it's like, well, that's. I think you and I agree on this. This is an NFL team. This is a like the NFL is king in this country. We're talking about football in June. No, no games are going to be played for for three more months with any value. And yet we're talking about it and ESPN's talking about it and all of these things. People care about this to where I don't know that I would kind of thumb my nose at Dan Steiner and the Washington Commanders if I were Virginia, Maryland, or D.C. because this is the NFL. Right. I mean, ultimately, sort of like I was saying, right, with the, with the D.C. side, like, as, let's just not act like this is new, this level of dysfunction. Right. This is new. Similar to Virginia – don't tell me you either want an NFL team or you don't <laughs> like, like, you know, this is your moment in time to get a pro team in the state that you have not had since an ABA team existed, you know, forever ago. It's right there. And you kind of get it on the relative cheap investments because of the way it is. You don't, you know, you don't have to give them a billion dollars anymore because nobody else is even coming close. In fact, correct me if I'm wrong, Wino, at this exact moment in time, the amount of dollars that anybody is actually proposing to get, build a stadium is zero. zero. No, zero. there's no money on the table. So if you want a Virginia, put up, offer something, go from there. And if people say, hey, why are you doing business with Dan Snyder? Because we want an NFL team and we don't know what the future is going to be. And by the way, the Titans got $500 million from the state of Tennessee for their new stadium. So if we're talking a precedent here, half, half a billion is about right. Right. Um, okay. Well, what's also right is, as uh, Steve mentioned, and, I'm, and I mentioned at the top of the show as well, go check out his his, his book. Why no? I know personally has been working very hard on it. And uh, the backup goal is easily one of the most bizarre things in sport <laughs> that a guy can come up literally hanging out in the stands or in the bar, or the local hockey rink and play in an NHL game. Can you, I mean, it's, it's off the charts crazy. And I'm excited to read. The book, of course, go follow Steve on Twitter. What is it? At S-Wino, W-H-Y-N-O, right? You got it. Uh, go read him with the Associated Press. Go check out his podcast. 
what, what t- tell everybody a little bit about your podcast. Uh, it's you and Carl Alsner. Yeah, it's called All's Caps. Uh, Bram Weinstein, who you all know from from calling the the, the football games, um, Empire Media, who also does John Kimes podcast, and Bram is a horse racing guy like like I am. Uh, I do a podcast with with Carl Alsner, a former Capitals defenseman, and we talk about the Capitals, but also wacky stuff and and. We have his Carl stupid questions where he asks stuff like, "What's the ugliest vegetable?" and and kind of if you ask players, would they rather win a Stanley Cup or play twenty years or whatever? Just it, we have we have fun. No one who's come on the show or listened to the show has had anything other than they enjoy it. So we enjoy doing it. It's fun. It's it it, it the Capitals aren't playing anymore, so that's 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 a, a problem. But things are happening around the Capitals, around the NHL still. Uh, Andre Burkowski played for this team, won the Stanley Cup with them. He's still playing for Colorado, who probably is going to win it this year. Um, so things things are happening. We, we, we have some fun with it. What What is the ugliest vegetable? Uh, see, I, I don't know. I think a kumquat, right? I think I think would be the answer to this, right? Is that, I, is that a thing? Could be. I was off the top of my head. I was like, yeah, spinach or broccoli. I mean, unless you're just like that into green. I was like, mm. yeah, I mean, that would be, be my ugly, own childhood yeah. traumas. Yeah, kumquat might be a fruit, but you're right. I was wondering about that, but you yeah, know, you're, you're, you're you're the AP guy. You know, you're the real news. I don't know. Yeah. Um, why not? I appreciate it, man. Thanks so much. We'll uh, we'll, we'll talk soon. Talk to you soon. All right. Many thanks to, of course, Steve Wino from the Associated Press and Hall of Famer Kurt Warner for his time on Wentz and How. More to come here on the Standard Room Only podcast and over on The Athletic. We're back at it in Ashburn, I believe, Wednesday of next week. So one more OTA session to go for us. Then there's the three-day minicamp the following week. And then everybody rides off into the sunset, so to speak, for a few weeks. Uh, but for now, that is it here on the podcast. Until next time, see ya.